Well, Anzac Day is, of course, tomorrow, and, and uh, we like to make it an Anzac weekend. Um, it's fantastic. It's great to see everyone, and I just want to welcome everyone at home as well um, who are maybe not well or you're on holidays, second long weekend in a row. That's pretty cool. That's very Australian, isn't it? And um, so I hope you're having a great time wherever you are and joining us. That's, that's great. And I also want to acknowledge and, and um, say to all those who have served and fought, past, present, and future, and pe- kept peace around this world, those of our armed forces, I want to say thank you for everything you've done. And um, I know my grandfather and his brother um, went and served, and many others have served, and and um, my parents have always taught me to respect that and honor that, and I think it's a great thing to do, and we'll continue to do that. And uh, Anzac Day is getting stronger and stronger in Australia, and I love the fact that we're teaching our people that. It's great. Cool. Um, one of my relatives who served was um, Uncle Duncan Butler. He's my grandmother's brother. And uh, every Anzac Day, I like to read a poem that he wrote. In fact, it's quite a famous poem, and it's called Mates. So if you've Want to entertain me? Um, allow me just to read this to you. I've traveled down some dusty roads, both crooked cra- tracks and straight, and I've learnt life's noblest creed, summed up in one word, mate. I'm thinking back across the years, a thing I do of late, and these words stick between me ears. You've got to have a mate. <coughs> Someone who'll take you as you are, regardless of your state, and stand as firm as Ayers Rock, because he is your mate. My mind goes back to 43, when man's one, one chance to stay alive depended on his mate. With bamboos for a billy can and bamboo for a plate, a bamboo, paradi- a bamboo paradise for bugs was bed for me and mate. You'd slip and slither through the mud and curse your rotten fate, but then you'd hear a quiet word, don't bu- drop your bundle, mate. And through it all, so long ago, this truth I have to state, a man don't know what lonely means till he has lost his mate. If there's a life that follows this, if there's a golden gate, the welcome that I wanna hear is just good on you, mate. And so all who ask us why we keep these special dates, like Anzac Day, I tell them why. We're thinking of our mates. And when I've left the driver's seat and handed him my plates, I'll tell old Peter at the door, I've come to join my mates. Uncle Duncan was a prisoner of war in World War II, 1943, and uh, spent time at Changi and on the Burma Railway. And um, he was a man who who survived, he came back and uh, lived a whole life after that, although very different. He was a different man. And um, he served the Lord for the rest of his life. He's a good man. And, but he stressed the importance of having a mate. I think having mates or mateship is such an Aussie trait. I'm, I'm not quite sure whether we designed the word mate, but we've fully embraced it. We've sort of taken ownership of the word mate, because that's an Australian thing. And, and I think giving up for your mates or laying your life down for your mates or helping your mates is such an Australian thing. Um, we do it really well, and I think it's um, something that I love about Australia. But I actually think it's also a Christian trait. John chapter 15, verse 13, Jesus actually made this comment. He said, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. I think if John was here today writing that down, 
he would have said, greater love is no one than this than for someone to lay down their life for their mate. Trying to get across to the Australians. It is true. It's such an, a Christian trait to look out for your friends, to look out for your mates, to love them more than you love yourself. It's a Christian thing. In fact, I think Christianity even takes it further. Love your friends, but love those who are strangers. In fact, takes it to the nth degree. Love your enemies. Jesus brought a whole game changer when he came to life, or when he came to live life with us on planet Earth, in the fact that he turned this mateship into a whole new thing and this laying your life down for your friend to a whole new level. He changed it. You see, Jesus had a lot to say about laying down your life. He started with himself. He said in John chapter 10, verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for his sheep. He goes on to say in verses 17 and 18, therefore my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. That's powerful when you think about what he did. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it up again. This command I received from my father. See, he, he, he came for this one purpose and that's what, that's what John 15, when he says, greater love is no one than this, lay down their life. That's what he meant. He said, this is why I've come. My love is so strong that I'm willing to lay down my life for it. And then he says, as a shepherd, that's what I'm doing. But he also challenged those who follow him. Those who are Christians, which mean little Christs. Those who say, you know what? I wanna follow him, I wanna be like him. I'm gonna live my life after Christ. He challenged them, Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 to 26, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. Just stop there for a minute. He hadn't died on the cross yet. Wonder what it meant to them. They would have known what crosses were. They would have seen Romans killing people on crosses. So he's pretty deep here right now, don't you think? He's, he's getting pretty deep. He didn't, he, he, it wasn't in the context of, oh, you know, just, just sacrifice like I sacrifice. No, 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 it's, it's deeper here. Just take up your cross. This is a murder implement, right? And follow me. Now listen to this, verse 25. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? From what we understand through history, those who listened to him and those who did follow him took this very seriously. All, all but one of his 12 disciples were basically murdered for their faith. Them following Jesus was to actually literally die for it. Pretty huge. The one who didn't die was beaten several times and put on an island to die, but he didn't die. You know? And many more throughout history have, have laid down their lives. Paul understood this. He's the one who said, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. He's the one who said, it's no longer I to the Galatians. It's no longer I that lives, but Christ that lives in me. In other words, I've laid my life down for Christ, for his purposes, his agenda for my life. Paul understood this. 
The woman at the well, Samaritan woman. We had a little bit of history about her just recently and um, her name was Fatina or Fatini, depends on which one you read. Fatina, um, historians tell us that she actually left Samaria and went to the north end of Africa because it needed to be reached. She took her whole family, her sons and her daughters with her and they went to the north end of Africa and spread the gospel like crazy. Then she heard that in Jerusalem, Emperor Nero was killing Christians and treating them very badly and just basically genocide. So she said, we've got to go back to Jerusalem. What? What? We've got to go back there. So she gathered up her family and said, we're going back. And she went back to Jerusalem and confronted Nero. She demanded to see him, which you never do to a Roman emperor. And history tells us that Nero entertained the thought and went and met with her and told her that she needed to lay down her life and she was defending her brothers and sisters who were dying there. He killed his, her family in front of her and eventually slayed her as well. Greater love is no one than this than to lay down their lives for their friends. Jesus' followers did this and millions of people over history have done it. You know, just 2021, a stat just came out. 6,000 people that we know of laid down their lives for the gospel, most of which were in Nigeria. People are, to this day, are still following that trend. But I think Jesus meant much more than just laying your life down. I, I just read a book, I just finished this book, um, Anzac Chaplains. And it highlights the uh, story of seven New Zealand chaplains who went to World War I. Seven. And uh, fantastic story. And they just, one of them, he went because another chaplain he'd heard had just died. Because all of them but one died on the field. And the one who didn't died in 1919, just after the war, um, through, through results of the war. And um, horrible, horrible stuff. But one of them, he said, oh, my friend has just laid his life down and they need a chaplain on the front line. So he signed up. He had to buy his own uniform. They, they, they didn't have any uniform, so he had to go and find some and bought them. <laughs> and he went over there, and again, he perished as well. But he, greater lovers, no one listen to lay down their lives. It's a Christian trait to do that. It's a Christian trait. You know, you could read the books. I like reading the books, Jesus Freaks. If you've ever read the books, Jesus Freaks. Nice light reading, don't you think, Ben? <laughs> there's two volumes of it and just page after page telling you about people who got what Jesus talked about laying down their lives if you want to follow me deny yourself take up your cross anyone who wants to find their life will lose it but anyone who gives their life up for me will find one version says true life pretty graphic and pretty you know weird stories about people literally dying for Jesus. And um, you know, we honor the fallen today who fought wars, but I think heaven's gonna be a day when we're gonna honor face to face those who laid their lives down for the cause of Christ. Can't wait for that supper. You know, just talking about supper, this rosemary makes me think of lamb roast all the time. <laughs> Anyone with me on that one? Yep. You see, Jesus was starting a revolution when he came. He was starting a new way of living. Life had been happening, things had, you know, God's people had followed God, they're not following God, follow God, not follow God. And at this point, God's people were being oppressed. They were going through a 
terrible time. We don't really know what was happening in other parts of the world, but Jesus came to change the entire world and he came with an agenda. And it was a revolution that had to have a bunch of people who said, we're gonna follow him and to do that we need to lay it down. I wanna just start a little mini series about lay it down. Because I got challenged the other day, I thought, do I really lay it down? Do I really lay my life down? Leading up to Anzac Day, it makes you think a lot more about it. Do I really lay it down? Let's face it, we live in probably the most comfortable era in history. We really do. We live in one of the most comfortable nations in the world. I think the biggest persecution I'm ever gonna get for being a Christian is being called a Bible basher. I've had a bit of that. I've been abused for my faith. But that's as bad, bad as it gets. Do I really lay it down? I live pretty comfortable. I live pretty warm. I don't shiver at night unless the wife turns the fan up too much. I live pretty good. But Jesus here, he came and he said, we've got to start a revolution. I think right now the world needs a revolution. I think right now the world in which we live needs a revolution. And what does it require? It requires his people, those who say, I wanna follow you, to lay it down. That's what it requires. In fact, I would go as far as to say Christianity requires it. It really does. In fact, I'm not quite sure whether you can live true Christianity and, and feel the rewards of Christianity unless you're laying it down. It's my challenge. Beginning of this year, the Lord asked me when I was praying, what's this year about for our church? What is this year? And he simply asked me this question, will my church lead? Will my church take the lead? And I look around our world. In my lifetime, I look around and there's never been so much confusion. There's never been so much oppression. There's never been so much anxiety and um, people not having vision for future, there's plenty of that around. Will my church lead? So I know I'm reading the story of Goliath and David and, and the, the words that David said about changing his society. Is there not a cause? So I've named this year for our church, is there not a cause? Well friends, there is a cause and someone has to rise up and take the lead. And I believe God's actually right now poking his finger into the ribs of his church saying, come on, come on, will you lead? And this is what I'm thinking. To lead, we need to lay it down. We're required to lay it down. Because if we don't, who does? Every time, Anzac Day tells us, for us to live in peace, someone had to lay it down. For us to live the way we do today, the joy that I've had for 55 years of living in Australia is because someone, many, laid it down. You know, what Jesus said to his people would have been hard to take back then, don't you think? Cross, <laughs> lay it down? What do you mean, Jesus? Deny myself? It would have been hard back then. I think it's even harder now. To, to swallow that. I think it's much harder. Like I said, we live in the most blessed nation in the most blessed time of history. And I think the biggest challenge for us is not, boy, where do we find food tomorrow? Our big challenge is the opposite to that, really. 
is how do we lay it down? What's that all about? What did Jesus mean? What's it mean for us now? It might have been obvious for his followers back then, but it's not so quite obvious what it means to the modern day church. And I want us to look at that and I want us to start looking inside of ourselves. Trust me, I'm not judging. I have no idea. If, if anything, I'm judging myself here. And I'm, 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 I'm inspi- I want to inspire the church, our church, to rise up and take the lead, but to rise up, you've pretty well got to lay it down. Remember the Bible, Jesus was always full of upside down stuff. He was. He was upside down. Love your enemies is weird. It's a paradox. It just doesn't make sense. Love those who want to beat you up. Love those who want to kill you. Love them. Yeah, do it. Jesus did it. Not only that, he said, if you want to receive, give. And it'll come back to you more than you could ever imagine. If you want to gain, give. Wow. He said this, if you want to be great, if you want to be a leader, one translation says, learn to serve everybody. Become the lowest. What? He flipped everything upside down. It's the way God works. He works as in paradox. Why? Because the world doesn't understand it. And there's so much about Christianity that the world will never get. Because that's the way God operates. And here we have, if you want to gain life, lay it down. If you want to lead, lay it down. That's what I think God's saying right now. Unless we understand what Jesus was saying, I think we'll never ever fully understand what it means to follow him. I think if we don't understand what Jesus was getting at when he said this, I don't think we'll ever really understand what it means to take the lead where we're at right now. Jesus actually, uh, I think, is prompting his church. So what is it all about? First thing is, I think it's all about honoring God. Honoring God. You know, God is jealous for you. God wants your attention. He wants to be first in your life. We read it in the first commandment. Have no other gods above me. Well, we don't have Buddha statues maybe in our house that we worship or we don't have any pictures of anyone else, you know, any Hindu gods that we worship. No, no, of course, that's, 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 but we do have gods. We have things that come along that we actually like to worship much more than our God. How do you determine that? Well, what do you spend most of your time thinking about? What do you pay attention and pay anything towards? The one you do to the most is the one who's your God. This afternoon, I'm hoping to go down and cheer the Panthers' seventh win in a row. Feeling for you, Marcus. Hey, that was heartbreaking last week. But look at the Rabbitohs, mate. Yeah. Sorry. Just me and Marcus having board chat. Because the rest of you are bored, right? I've got to go down and watch the Panthers. And I'm going to see some people. And I'll cheer, I love it, I have a great time, get along with the ground. But I'm gonna see some people, it is everything. It is everything. That's their God, they literally worship it. They pay their tithes every year. They pay their membership to it. They give all they can. They have it written all over their clothing. And I'm not criticizing them, but my point is this, everyone has gods. God says, I don't want any of them above me. 
None of them. Why? Because he's jealous for your heart. And he's jealous for your life because he wants your life to be awesome. He wants your life to be free. And he is a God who brings freedom into your life. He wants you to have him first. Why? Because he wants you to be first. That's how he works. That's what tithing is all about. Do you understand that? That's why tithing is so critical for Christian's life. It's because it's saying, God, in the finances, one of these things I cherish greatly, one of these things I need the most, finances, I'm putting you first. That's what it's like. It's a faith thing. It's putting God first. It's honoring him. That's what worship is together. That's why I think the first day of the week worship is, is really important. It's because it's the first day of the week. It's putting God. God, the first thing I'm doing on the first day of the week is I'm worshiping you. And don't ever think that worship is a thing we do when we feel like it. What's that? You know, I think it was Peter who said, rejoice in the Lord, all my soul, and again I say rejoice. He was having a problem. He probably didn't feel like it, but I don't care. We're gonna rejoice in him anyway. Why? Because he's God and I wanna honor him. That's laying it down. I'll tell you, I get excited at worship, but I don't always feel excited. Why? Because it's not about me. I must lay it down so that I can worship my God because he is my God and he's the most important thing in my life. If he's not, what is? I think sometimes lifestyle challenges us on this one. Sometimes our lifestyle gets more of our attention. Who's the one who gave you your lifestyle? Who's the one who sacrificed so you can be free to do it? Who's the one who gave you so much grace that your sin no longer hinders you? He's the one who deserves the worship. That's what worship's about. It's putting him first. Honor him. Teach your children this. I, I, I honor Anzac because my parents show me all about it. I honor the Anzac, absolutely, and I will do it every year that I'm alive. I will honor the Anzacs because my parents and their parents taught them how. Do we go as desperate to teach our kids the same thing about honoring God? That's what Jesus, I think, is getting at. Romans chapter 12, verses one and two, Paul says this, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Listen to this, this is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed in the renewing of your mind, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. You wanna know what God's will is? Lay it down. What's God's will for my life? Lay it down. Just lay it down. You know, make yourself a living sacrifice for God, is Paul's words. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, his perfect and pleasing will, or his pleasing and perfect will. Jesus was approached by a young guy one day. He was a young, rich ruler. He was a leader, he was wealthy, and he was young. Everything you're looking for, right? Everything you wish you were. Jesus, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, well, pay the 10 commandments. He says, I've done all that. He's a great achiever, right? Not only was he that, he's an achiever. Disciplined. Jesus says, okay then, there's one thing you lack. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Whoa, hang on, Jesus. Hang on. Bible says he went away sad. And we never hear, we don't know if we hear about it. We don't hear about this guy again. We may have, I don't know. We didn't name him. He went away sad. 
He wasn't, the way, he wasn't willing to lay something down. Jesus exposed the God. Jesus exposed the thing that he'd put above the Lord. His, maybe it was the security of his wealth. Maybe it was the extra stuff he has because he's wealthy. Maybe it was the lifestyle he has because, I don't know. But he wouldn't give it up, wouldn't lay it down. It's not bad to have riches. It's when the riches have you. That's the issue. It's about honoring God. The second thing is, I think what Jesus is getting at, it's about obeying him. Oh, that terrible word, obey. Oh, how dare you use that, Rick? It's right through the New Testament. (laughs) It's about obeying Jesus. Jesus actually said this, anyone who hears my words and obey them, he is like the guy who built a house upon the rock and the storms came and you couldn't knock it down. That's his life. The one who heard my words and didn't obey them, he's like the guy who put it on, built it on sand, the storms come, took the foundation out, that, huge imagery, took the foundation out and the whole thing crumbled. That's his life. I, I think it's all about obeying Jesus. I've learned this. I don't always have to agree with Jesus, but I must obey him when he speaks to me. He speaks to me out of his word and he speaks to me from his spirit. I remember once um, Naomi and I had just uh, started youth pastoring. Uh, Elijah was just born. He was a little baby. It's ironic that he's sitting on the front row there of his little baby, Lola. Yep, that's her. That one there. She said, Papa, this morning. (sighs) Take me now, Lord, I'm ready. We were just starting and, um, and we were humming along, took on youth ministry, but we were also at that same time looking into investments. Um, it was a funny story. We, 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 by mistake, owned two houses, which was really cool. And we just went along with that. But again, I look back, it was just God's hand. And um, we're thinking, and we're, with the other couple, we're looking at other investments we could make. And um, we thought, you know what, this will get us ahead. This will really help our security. It'll set our kids up financially. Let's do this. And we're on a track with this other couple to do this. And God spoke to me very clearly. He said this, Rick, I've not asked you to make investments. I've asked you to raise a generation that'll change the world. I don't want you doing it. He said, let me do the investments for you. I had to fight that one for a while. I grappled with that for a long time. But we obeyed. We pulled out. Sorry, we're not gonna do this. We're not going to do it. And you know what? I look back and he has constantly set up things for us just to walk into with investments. He's constantly done it. And I got to raise an incredible generation of young people. I got to actually minister and I just obeyed. Now, here's the thing. You might be into investments. Good on you. If that's what God's asked you to do, you do it. But he asked me not to. It's not about whether you do investments or not. It's whether you obey God. Have you obeyed everything he's asked you to do? And that's why it's so important to hear now his voice. That's why it's so important to understand what he's saying to you. Not just read the Bible. That's, I'm, I'm not a great fan of reading the Bible in the year programs because I fall into the trap of just reading what I have to read rather than reading what God wants to say to me. I think it's a new discipline Christians need to get and that is I've just got to read my word because God wants to say something. You read your word or you just spend time meditating and listen for that spirit within you. If you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, that spirit is within you and you can hear his voice. The trick to hearing his voice is to obey it because it comes clearer and clearer 
and clearer. I think he really, really wants to. What's God asked you to do? Has he asked you to look after your neighbor? Has he asked you to go visit them more regularly? Has he asked you to actually maybe give them something, make them a meal? Has he asked you to share the good news with anyone in particular? What's he asked of you? Has he asked you to make a phone call to someone you haven't seen for a while just to encourage them? I've actually received a few of those phone calls lately. Rick, I was just thinking about you. God, I was praying God brought your name to mind. I thought I'd give you a call. How are you doing? It's been really pleasant. It's been really nice, especially in a time when your church is flooded out. What's he asked of you? Has he asked you to give something up? Has he asked you to maybe put something else in your life? Obedience, this is about being obedient to God, not to man. Don't ask Pastor Rick what you should do. Because Rick, Pastor Rick really doesn't, I'll just fake it. I'll just say, yeah, of course, you yeah, go. No, 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 you've got to hear from God. Maybe if I do get a word from God for you, it'll be confirming what he's already said to you. If it doesn't, just ignore it. Because the whole reason the Holy Spirit comes is so that every believer themselves can hear from Holy Spirit. It's about obedience. It's about honoring God, obedience, but it's also about gaining true life. God doesn't want his people to live as paupers. He doesn't want his people to live perishing and hungry. He doesn't want that. You know, ironically, the Jews throughout the world are the most blessed people on earth. If you don't believe me, go to Hollywood or New York, choose whichever one, it's full of Jews. The most richest, blessed, you know, they're not honoring God, many of them, they probably should. You know, William Shakespeare was a Jew. You know that? God just blesses them. He, but here's the good news, since Jesus died and rose again, we are all considered his people through faith in Christ, right? We should be the most blessed there are in the planet. He doesn't want you to perish, but the key to living that life is to lay it down. If you lay it down, you get the life. He actually made it very plain and simple. Let's read it, Matthew chapter 16, again, 25. For whoever desires to save his life or gain his life or make life awesome, right, will lose it. But whoever loses or lays down their life for my sake, and I'm not talking about going and killing yourself, of course not. I'm talking about the things we want in life. We lay it down for my sake. We'll find true life. For what profits someone if they gain the whole world? Riches, fame, glory, and loses their own soul, their own self, who they are, their deep person. Or what will it gain man? What will a man gain in give in exchange for their soul if you really want true life lay down this is the way to great life i could tell you story after story after story when we have actually dared to do this god's come through every time you've heard me say i live in a house i shouldn't be able to afford i've never once had a wage which could actually afford that several times we've been on one wage raising five kids but yet he's just somehow done it. Everything, you can't outgive him. And I think the key to it, a lot of Christians are living, oh, where's God's blessings, where's God's blessings? My response is, have you laid it down? Lay it down. You don't want those things to get you. It's the narrow way of living. 
It's a narrow way. Jesus explained it this way, Matthew chapter seven. Enter through the narrow gate, right? For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow, and narrow the road that leads to life. And only few find it. Basically what he's saying is, hey, you can, you can live pretty wide and open. That's the thing about grace. I love grace. But the downside to grace is people try to live any way they want to because God's gracious, right? And this is what I'm seeing in the Western world. I think this is a Western world problem. The Christians, oh, I can live however I want. I'm free, God's gracious. He said, yeah, you can, but it's a wide road and the, where it's heading is destruction for your life. I don't think it has anything to do with salvation. It has everything to do with quality of life and fruitfulness of life. Oh, I can live here, I can, you know, I can date this person, I might be married to someone else, but that's okay, I can do this, I can do that, I can cheat this person, I can do this, I can do that, I can you know, do this dodgy deal, it's okay, God's gracious, oh, I don't have to help anyone, surely. God, God might have asked me to give a little bit more, but I don't need to, God's gracious, he'll still love me. That's a wide road. But Jesus said, narrow is the way and small is the gate that enters to life. There's a narrow way to live. It's a narrow path. Sorry, man, I just don't do that. I do do this. This is what I do put in my life. I'm not gonna do that. No way. I'm not gonna look over there. I'm not gonna look at those items. I'm not gonna try and make that part of my life because my life is narrow. It's focused. That leads to true life I think about the world right now it needs someone who knows what true life is and we only discover it on the narrow path so it's a it's about gaining true life like I said I can go on again and again how God has come through every time yeah. I think just in our marriage do you know we literally have barely anything in common <laughs> except from where we live five children and our love for architecture that's it Star Wars, Middle Earth, <laughs> Panthers, go the cricket team. It's a miracle 33 years this year. It's a miracle. Oh, I've got to find my soulmate who has everything in common. No. That old soulmate thing's a pagan thing, you know that, don't you? It's a whole pagan belief. It's not a Christian belief. Christian style of marriage is lay it down. Lay it down for your spouse. That's what Christianity is all about. I live so that they can actually lift up. I lay it down and lift them up. That's what it's about. Gaining true life. Our marriage is awesome. I think it is. Is it awesome for you? (laughs) She's laughing a lot. (laughs) Thanks, Kamala. (laughs) Sorry. Finally, what Jesus is getting on about, it, it's about others. Yeah. It's all about others. Our family, our community, a yeah. lost, hurting and dying world. Yeah. That's what it's about. It's not about us. I think that's what Jesus was getting at with these guys. Hey, it's not about you. We live in a world where it says it's everything about you. You're the most, what about me time? Come on, what about some me time? Really? 
I'm wondering whether if we really need me time is because we haven't laid it down. Now, don't get me wrong. Rest and things like that are very important. But remember, if you lay it down, you get what you want. That's what Jesus said. It's a faith thing. Oh, but Pastor Rick, you know, I'm important. I'm a child of God. Yes, you are. Lay it down. Lay your life down for God. What's he asked of you? What's he want you to do? What's he want you to think about? What's he want your whole life to gear toward? What has God asked of your life? Some of you have got prophecies that have not been fulfilled over your life. Is it because you haven't laid it down? Yeah, of course it's hard. Wouldn't want to do it easy. We're going to be one day sitting opposite those who were ripped apart by lions at a big feast. And they're going to ask you, so what was your life about? How did it all end for you? Well, we had a little bit too much turkey one Christmas. Had a heart attack and died. I don't want to be that guy. I want to be the one who says, oh man, we served the Lord in the Western world. We ushered in the coming of the Lord. Mate, we were the ones who spread the gospel as hard as we could around as many people as we could. We let them know that there's a God in heaven who loves them and we saw so many people respond. It was awesome. I don't want to be the guy who said, oh, well, we filled an auditorium a few times every week. I don't want to be that guy. I want to be the guy who said, I saw a young couple rise up in our church and they caught hold of God and I'd help them grab hold of that word and we trained them and we sent them and we applauded them and resourced them. That's the guy I want to be. And he got it to Cambodia. Found a couple of young men over there and seeing a great church. Hey, did you see the footage of them dancing around at Maymont on Easter? Oh, I cried. It was wonderful. Because the gospel got there. People, children singing praises to Jesus. That'll do me. It's all about others. It's all about your neighbor. It's all about those you might not have met yet. It's all about the person you cross in the street. It's all about the lost, hurting and dying world in which we live. We are the church. We are the greatest organization on the planet has ever been. It's the longest running movement of all. They said it would die early and it's still growing faster now in the non-Western world than it ever has. There's more Christians on planet Earth now than there ever has been. And that's us, that's part of us. God's asking someone to take the lead. Will we do it? See, that's what the Anzac thing is all about. Someone who laid it down for others. That's what Christianity is all about. That's what Jesus was all about. I lay it down. I'm the good shepherd. I lay down my life. I, no one takes it from me and no one will take it from you. Unless, you know, not in this setting, but I lay it down. Jesus said, my father loves me because of it. That's an interesting little comment, that one. My father loves me because of it. Will my church lead in the Western world, in the Western church, do we really lay it down? Really? Really? Well, I want us to go on a journey of discovery, church, of what it means for us as individuals and as a church to lay it down. What it may produce 
in our world right now in the circumstances of which we live could be life-changing for so many. Could be life-changing for you. What has God asked of you? Now, I just want to put a little bit of disclaimer as I just finish up. Elijah, if you'd just like to come and just tinkle on that guitar, that'd be awesome. Thanks, mate. Just so my life voice isn't quite so boring. But um, I've, over many years, seen people fry through laying their lives down for a church service. That's not what I'm asking you to do, church. I'm not the guy saying you need to be here early, you need to be here serving, you need to be greeting people at the door. I'm not that guy, have you noticed? I've seen countless people get disillusioned because they actually serve the wrong thing. I'm asking you to serve Jesus and everybody he loves, which is everybody. There's some he loves, or doesn't love more, but he, he thinks about more right now. Will we serve them? I don't want you to block off and say, oh, you're asking me to give more. Well, we're, we're gonna take up a seed offering in June. We do it every year, and boy, so much good comes out of it. But I'm not asking you to give more money. If God is, do it. Come on, God, tell them to. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not that guy. I'm not here to press you into that. I'm actually asking you just to listen to God. Put him first. Lay down your agenda for his agenda. Lay down your thoughts for his thoughts. Lay down your lifestyle submitted totally to God, not to the church, not to the pastor. I'll love you no matter what. Accept you no matter what. But what I want to see is an army rise up who have said we've laid it down. I've laid it down. And I want to see the joy that you find coming through your life and spreading to everyone else you know and don't know yet. Because I believe God's asked us to lead. Will my church lead? The world needs leaders right now, good ones. There's a real lot of bad leaders around right now. Have you noticed that? Really bad ones. Well, you can't expect much else. It's, they've got agendas. But the church only has one agenda, that everyone would find the love of Christ. Everyone. And our church's agenda is to take Jesus to all people. That's what we do. Would you do it? Let's all stand. I'd love to pray for you. Holy Spirit, I'm done with this sermon. Now I just invite you to come and take those seeds, plant them in good soil in the hearts of every person who's heard this, in the room, on the stream, even later listening to a recording, Lord. I pray that you would begin to speak so strongly to every person. Lord, would you show us how to lay it down? That's our heart. Get so gray in, in, a, in a Western world. 
There's so much that feels good and we know, Lord God, that you are beyond feelings. The experience of God is beyond feelings, people. It's a faith thing. It's all about faith. Father, you're the perfecter of our faith. Would you give us more? Would you fill us with faith, your church? Even now, Holy Spirit, would you just guide and direct people? He's bringing names to people's minds right now. Maybe you need to give him a call. Send him a letter. Lord, would you take away the fear of losing the material? Would you just take that away? So our trust is totally in you. We love you, Lord. Now, Father, as your church, we say, Lord, we'll lead. Continue to show us how to do it. Protect our hearts and guard us from the world. Help us to influence the world with the love of Jesus Christ, I pray. I pray a blessing over every family, every marriage, every individual right now. I pray, Lord, your Holy Spirit would resonate over us all day today. Lord, I just wanna lift up families who might be grieving as a result of the Anzac Day memories and I just pray peace upon those people, grace. Lord, for those who have been traumatised through war, I just pray right now, Lord God, peace and grace over them right now. Everyone. Aha. And I thank you for them. We thank you for sending Jesus Christ to be our God and the Holy Spirit to be with us always. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Beautiful spirit here right now. It really is. Well, church, I'm gonna start speaking a little bit more along these lines of what it means to lay it down. I'm not judging. I'm not being one of those pastors that say, where are you? What were you doing? I'm not that guy. I just wanna see you rise up to be everything God's asked you to be. That marriage, that family, that individual, who you're called to be, that's my heart. And I know God has the answers. Amen. Well, God bless you, everyone at home. God bless you. Safe travels on the way home when you, if you're on holidays. Get well if you're not well. We love you. See you all later. God bless you.